This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to the podcast, ufowarning.com. If you haven't been by the site, stop by and check it out, ufowarning.com. Today's episode is about an is about an event known as the Braxton County Monster, or what some people call the Flatwoods Monster. This happened in uh, Flatwoods, West Virginia, a little town with a population of about 300. It happened back uh, on the evening of September 12, 1952. Uh, the main witnesses in the event were two boys, Edward and Fred May. A couple of a couple of other neighbor kids and uh, the May boys' mother, um, Kathy May. Now the boys Edward and Fred and their uh, buddies, they were out playing uh, near a schoolyard and they saw what they thought was a meteorite go flashing across the sky and land in a nearby pasture. Now a lot of people saw this. It was widely reported around West Virginia, and. Uh, in the video documentary that was made, I made a, a link to this um, on the website, ufowarning.com. There's a fellow who went back in, I think it was in 2006 maybe, or maybe even 1996. Anyway, he did a really uh, in-depth documentary where he went back and talked to all the witnesses he could find that were still alive. And he also went back to the original site where the actual, what they was referred to as the Flatwood Monsters, or uh, Braxton County Monster was um, seen by the May boys and uh, their mom. And then he also went to a secondary site uh, up the hill, or what they called a mountain, uh, from that where, uh, where, the, where the actual UFO landing occurred at. Now, according to news reports that it happened after the fact, uh, once the debunkers came in, they tried to claim that this was simply a meteorite that had been spotted uh, blazing across the sky and had landed on top of this mountain. But the problem is there's no crater. And another thing you can keep in mind, I remember back, oh gosh, maybe 10, 12 years ago, there was a meteorite that struck in, uh, near a town in Texas. And it, it makes a sonic boom. And you know, a meteorite the size of a uh, golf ball or a, or a baseball it can make a, a sonic boom. So when a meteorite strikes the ground, it's a pretty big event, and that's why when if a meteorite of any size strikes near a populated area, uh, it makes a, a, a huge uh, bang from the sonic boom, and then they're not that hard to find because they leave a big hole in the ground. So this obviously was not a meteorite. That's just nonsense. And anybody that, that actually uh, was in the area could tell you that it wasn't a meteorite because there was no crater. But that didn't stop the debunkers from coming out and saying, oh, it was a meteorite. So what happened was the two boys had spotted this thing, and they were curious. And they run up the hill uh, with their mother. And what they describe is, um, this is a two-part sighting, what they describe is a monster. So what has happened is, while they're seeing this, 
there's being reported that a UFO has landed on top of the mountain. And at the same time that they're uh, running up this hill to spot whatever this is that's landed, other people have called in thinking that there's a downed airplane. And the local uh, Air National Guard called up a Colonel um, Eugene Lemon. Now, he's actually interviewed in documentary. So he goes up and tries to find the landing site. But before he gets there, the boys have gone to the hill, and they don't see they don't see a UFO. What they see is this object uh, moving down the hill toward them, and they describe how it's floating along. They describe the object as being about 12 foot tall. Uh, kind of has like a like a uh, oblong triangular shape, and uh, it's really surreal how they describe this thing. You almost have to go to the to the website and, and watch the, some of the documentary on it, and, and watch and take a look at the at the um, sketches that, that have been made of it. The way that they were able to tell to estimate the height of it is is because as this thing or whatever it is comes gliding down the hill, it stops under a tree, and the tree's dead now, but you can see there that there's still the remains of a pretty tall stump. And at the time, this was quite a tall tree. They described about a hundred foot tall, and as they look up, the first branch is about twelve foot off the ground, <clears throat> and this object slides under the tree and kind of sits there. Now, as it has come down the tree, uh, even though it's floating, it seems like it's left skid marks coming down the side of the hill. So we don't know if this is just uh, maybe there's from some kind of um, uh, uh, anti-gravity levitation system under there, or maybe there's something physically touching the ground. But whatever is going on is this tall, 12-foot tall object slides down from what would have been, I guess you could call the crash site, it's leaving uh, tracks along along the hillside. And, and not tracks like a vehicle would leave, just as almost as they describe them as skid marks. Skid marks, by the way, that are leaving a kind of a greasy residue that uh, smells, has a burnt metal smell to it. Now the boys stand there, and but you know they're they're really kind of freaked out by the whole thing. Them and the mother, and they, in in the documentary, uh, this fellow interviews the mother at at the time she was still alive, and you can tell she was just terrorized by it. And she looks up at this thing, and I guess the best way uh, you could describe it, for lack of a, for me, lack of a better term, I don't know if you've ever seen like the pancake syrup with the Aunt Jemima bottles. You know, it's got that that bottle with the with the gal wearing the long dress. Well, that's kind of what she describes. I mean, it's a metallic. Like she says, it's about 12 foot tall. It has a basically like a rope, like a, like a robot shape to it. The head part is, doesn't have facial features, but she describes it as having, she describes the head as being shaped as the Ace of Spades card. You know how that Ace of Spades symbol on the card has, has that uh, kind of curvy shape to it. And in the middle of that, she says, there are these two large eyes. They're just flat. It's like they're not even like, obviously not like human or even, or even uh, organic at all. She describes the whole thing as being very mechanical. So there's no way that, that this thing could have been a, a living thing, but it was obviously a mechanical thing. It had a, it had a metal shape to it. It had a metal quality about it. 
then she says she describes how um, the the object I guess if you could think of us you know kind of an old school Ricky robot or whatever I mean this this metal goes down to what we would think of where the waist would be at it angles out and the metal the, the metal is still metal a material but it has a uh, an almost like like drapes she says the metal the, the shape of the metal like a very curved um if you just imagine like a pleated dress but it's made out of metal and you, if you think about it you, you know it, it doesn't seem to make sense and there's no way why would somebody even make up this object and you, when you listen to her talk um to the interviewer i think this is part of the reason that it was such a frightening experience uh, for her and the boys is because the object was so otherworldly. I mean, it didn't even, it didn't even resemble uh, something that was alive. They called it a monster, but it really didn't, it really wasn't a monster so much. It was as if it was maybe this UFO phenomenon had taken on this helter skelter um, shape. Um, to me, it's more of a, shape-shifting thing where uh, maybe the maybe when the UFO came in and landed it was a saucer shape or an orb shape but as it as it lost energy or whatever it transformed itself into this thing that that maybe it was trying to take on the appearance of a human I mean and that was this haphazard attempt to place eyes at the top and to have uh, uh, and, you know, an attempt to make it look like it was wearing clothing, you know, and this is why you have this pleated-looking metal. I mean, this this uh, really strange appearance that didn't make sense um, to the human mind. And she describes how they just stand there flabbergasted, pointing at the thing. Now, it didn't have arms, and a lot of the sketches show that it has arms sticking out, kind of like little T-Rex arms off this thing. She says there were antennas that came out of the side near the top where what we would have been, say, a head or a neck would have been. But at the top of that machine, this tall robot-like machine, it had antennas sticking out each side of, I guess, what you would call the neck. And she said they absolutely were not arms. So it wasn't like it was reaching out trying to attack them or anything. And the behavior of it almost sounds more like it was like, like a space probe. That's what I'm thinking of. It sounds like uh, a space probe sent here from somewhere in outer space or from some other dimension. And the the shape of the thing is not so important. The shape of the thing seems like it happens. Uh, it's almost like this thing is changing shape. It's shifting. It's shifting shape as it moves through our dimension, and it's taking on uh, whatever appearance it takes on uh, to 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 meet our expectations. And I fully believe that if somebody else would have happened to discover this crazy thing, uh, maybe their expectations wouldn't have been that it was a robot. Maybe their expectations would have been it was a Bigfoot or some other legendary creature. And this thing might have, might have just as easily assumed that shape. At any rate, they, they stand there and they, they look at this thing levitating under the tree. Uh, they all three, well, four boys actually and and the the mother of the two boys they i they just sat there and they look at it for quite a while and then they go back to the house or scared to death they call um 
a neighbor, eventually a local reporter gets called, and his name was, um, his name is A. Lee Stewart, I believe. Now, this guy is also interviewed in the documentary. It's really, it's it's fun to watch a documentary where uh, someone's gone back to the, to this, he actually went back to the site was occurred at. And he interviewed all the people he could get a hold of. He interviewed one of the boys that had grown up. He's he's you know a middle-aged man now or an elderly man, and he explained to him exactly what he saw. He took him to the tree where they saw it at. He had he had gotten hold of a uh, recorded conversation, or maybe he'd done it with the the mother. I believe she'd passed on, and um, he interviewed her. She told what she saw, which is exactly what the boy saw, and then he um, he interviews this Ailey Stewart, who uh, went out and talked to the family, and interviewed uh, everybody, and he described what they said at the time, and their descriptions of what happened were exactly the same today as they were uh, 60, 65 years ago. So. <clears throat> They printed it up in the paper, and it got quite a bit of attention. But what kind of falls in between the cracks here is that while the boys were, you know, they had they had seen all this this whole UFO account, other people in Braxton County uh, had reported what they thought was a downed airplane. So the next day, um, the uh, Air, local Air Force Reserve Commander there. Uh, and he interviews this man, this uh, Eugene Lemon. He's told to go out and do a recovery. So he gets 30 of uh, the local guardsmen. They go out, they, they uh, cordon off the area. And and then they get another 30 people. I think that he had talked to the kids. Anyway, they weren't sure what they were looking for. They go up to the mountaintop where uh, the UFO was supposed to have been sighted at and where people had thought there had been a plane crash, and they found out that um, there was no plane crash. There was a flattened down area where something had landed at, and they described this uh, kind of acrid metallic smell, um, and they found out something else. They found out that the kids got real sick after they had had witnessed a UFO, and they had... They had uh, come in contact with this kind of greasy slime that the thing had been had been uh, emitting and they were sick so the colonel wanted to find out what was going on and what had made them sick and some people that went with him uh, that some of the slime stuff was still at the scene they touched the stuff and they had the same reaction they were vomiting uh, intense intense flu-like symptoms so the Air Force uh, ordered him to take soil samples all around there. Now, what's cool is this guy goes back and talks to this gentleman, and I think it must have been like, must have been like 1996. You can watch a YouTube video. It's at ufowarning.com. There's a link, and he describes himself. He says, "Well, this wasn't a meteorite." He says, "There was uh, no crater." And no evidence of meteorite. And he said there was no airplane crash. This guy is an old World War II vet, a fighter pilot. So he knew a thing about or two about air, you know, airplane crashes. And he's looking around. And he sees nothing there. And but the only evidence they had was 
and four kids that had gotten real sick that had been exposed to this greasy substance that had been uh, dispersed in these skid marks that went from where the UFO landed down maybe 20, 30 yards to where this robot creature was sighted. And like I said, they went ahead, they got soil samples from this, and he sent those soil samples into uh, the Air Force, and he said, well, that's the last we heard of it. Now, it would be interesting enough <clears throat> if the story uh, ended there. You know, you have what appears to be, some people thought it was a meteorite, a lot of people thought it was a, thought it was a uh, crashing airplane. Uh, you had young kids run to the scene. They run to work. The, they run to the scene of the crash, but there's nothing crashed. But what they do see is this 12-foot-tall robotic, robotic-looking strange creature that is levitating down the hillside, stops in front of them. They observe it. They uh, get exposed to this uh, kind of a greasy metallic substance that it's expelling at the bottom of the uh, of, of this robot thing. Um, they get sick from it. Uh, this is witnessed by a local newspaper reporter. Uh, he sees the skid marks. He knows something's been here. The Air Force sends out an investigator with uh, 60 guardsmen. This is all recorded. They investigate the scene. They find no crash debris. They don't find this robot anywhere. But they do find the skid marks, and they do find this uh, greasy type of uh, metallic uh, stuff that's been... Uh, excremented, for lack of a better word, from this machine. Uh, people touch it. They they immediately uh, display the same flute-like symptoms, vomiting. Um, the colonel goes ahead, takes soil samples, and sends them into the Air Force to try to find out what's what this stuff is. And that's it. He doesn't hear a word. Apparently he's uh, not in the loop, has no need to know. And that's the end of the actual event. Now, it got a big write-up in the paper. And, of course, you know, the paper wanted to put the twist on it that it was some sort of uh, imaginary monster. And then the debunkers come out. And they really try to, to, uh, try, they try, try to really convolute the story to mix up the facts. And it's, it's pretty clear from the sightings that what happened was is that you had a UFO that was disabled for some reason that... It crash landed. That was witnessed, and that it appears as though, uh, as a lot of these things do, uh, it shifted shape. I mean, it was witnessed as a flaming wall of fire, and then it's between the time that it lands and the time the kids get there, its shape has shifted into this robotic thing, and then it just simply disappears before anybody can go back and get a second set of eyes on it. Well, this is not a this is not an unheard of thing today. By now, when we study uh, UFO phenomenon, shape shifting is a really common thing that happens. But at that time, shape shifting wasn't even considered. Uh, so it seems like when you read the debunkers' accounts or even some of the newspaper accounts, they completely uh, disregard the part about the UFO crash itself. They almost want to act like it was. Uh, it, like it never happened, or they'll claim that it was simply a meteorite that landed, and the boys ran up there to check it out, and what they saw was a hoot owl sitting in a tree. Now, that's that's pretty ridiculous on the face of it. I think that 
even four kids and a mom can tell the difference between a hoot owl perched 12 foot up in a tree and a 12 foot tall uh, robot that's releasing some kind of toxic toxic substance. So when you go back and you read some of the debunking articles or some of the old newspaper articles, um, you see what, what happens with a lot of these cases immediately. Instead of uh, just approaching them logically and reporting the facts of what happened, you know, a disabled UFO, the shape-shifting witnesses, they, re they report an event that didn't happen, that couldn't have happened, and that's a meteorite lands that doesn't leave a crater and doesn't leave a sonic boom. And then they take the part of the actual UFO sighting and they just claim that never happened. So it's a little bit of a complicated case, but I think that there's still a lot of interest in it, by the way. And I think that if you really want to understand this case, you need to go watch that documentary. It's about 50 minutes long. And watch this fellow uh, interview the actual witnesses that were there in 1952. He talks to Colonel Lemon. He talks to one of the boys, and then he has he plays the the audio interview with the mom, and then you're able to really get uh, to the bottom of what of what the uh, Braxton County monster was. And it wasn't a monster at all. It's obviously what it was 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 a disabled UFO, and uh, somehow it managed to get itself righted and out of there before anybody could capture it. And it also uh, when you when you watch the interview brings out how important that the Air Force thought it was, the fact that they would send someone up there to take a look at it. You know, I realized it was 1952, but they were interested in what was going on and to confirm whether or not this was an airplane crash. So the only way to get to the truth of these, to these um, events really is to go back and talk to um, the people that witnessed the events. And that's what this guy does. And he goes back to the actual location of the event. He shows you exactly where the UFO landed. And he shows you exactly where um, the UFO slash monster was sighted at by the witnesses. And then he actually takes a couple of those witnesses out there to the very site they were at, you know, 50 years before or whatever it was. And they explain exactly what they saw. And when you listen to these people and you listen to them relive what they saw, it really uh, completely deflates everything the debunkers try to say about it. And it shows you what actually happened and gives you a way to understand it in, in the best possible light, I guess I would say. Anyway, a very fascinating case. Uh, definitely do go to the website. Take a look at the documentary. It's worth your time. Uh, a, a real fun case to look at. That's all for now. Over and out. UFOWarning.com.